Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everybody. We are Two Moms No Fluff. Alma Schneider here with me, and I'm Iris Meller. And uh, today, I want to welcome all our new listeners and everybody that has been here before. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have a very special topic, which is cooking. And for everybody who's like me, who has some aversion to the subject, I brought a special guest who can talk to us about cooking and everything that is holding us back from conquering our very own kitchens. Hello, Alma, my guest. How are you? Hello. Oh, I'm the guest. Oh, yes, okay. I'm the guest. Yes, Iris asked me to be her guest today on Two Moms No Fluff. And for those of you who are new, I am Iris's partner in Two Moms No Fluff. So I'm here every every time you see Iris, you do see me. So um, yes, I do have a- today I prepared the red carpet for you because you're a guest. You did prepare the red carpet. And I'm very honored and flattered to be your interviewee. Uh, but yes, I do wear many hats and one of my hats is that I founded a consulting company and blog called Take Back the Kitchen. So about 15 years ago, I started realizing that a lot of people had psychological as well as practical obstacles to cooking. And I discovered this just by being my normal self, cooking for my friends and realizing that a lot of them really couldn't find the time or the they just weren't able to to put meals on the table um, especially having children that it was really complicated for them and I would try to teach some people how to cook because I thought it was odd that they weren't able to do a, a quick recipe and some people were able to cook once I taught them some some basic you know cooking strategies but there were some who just couldn't seem to get a handle on it, even though they were really smart, accomplished people. So in a nutshell, Take Back the Kitchen was born because as a social worker, I cannot bear not being able to help people with their obstacles. It's something I must do. <laughs> so I combined my love of cooking with my counseling background. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started. But um, I'm, I'm happy to say that, uh, I kind of discovered that there were different cooking personality types and figuring that out kind of helped people not feel so alone or isolated. See a common theme here with, uh, how we function here with, take, with, uh, two moms and no fluff that, um, because if you can't cook, there are reasons why and it the those issues need to be identified first and then addressed much like any other obstacle that we have in our life whether it's driving or learning how to swim or um you know skydiving anything else that we want to accomplish we have to first figure out why we have a a fear or an insecurity or just 
you know, figuring out why this isn't working, why this isn't resonating for me, why I can't take this information in the, the simple education. Why can I not take that information and then transfer it to be able to accomplish certain tasks? So, so everybody has a different reason when they come to the table, no pun intended, <laughs> um, why they struggle with cooking. So I help people identify what those issues are. And then we start the practical task of learning how to cook. And Alma, I know that you had, uh, you know, gone through many workshops in which you taught different uh, segments of the population uh, how to cook and how to conquer the kitchen, uh, as you say, mm-hmm. take back the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I uh, wanted to ask you a bit about uh, the concept that you kind of came up with, and that's the cooking personalities. Do you mind sharing with us a little sure, bit about sure. that? Sure, sure. So after doing a lot of workshops and individual sessions, I started to see that people fell into categories that that were unique to their issues, but also overlapped with some of the other cooking personalities. So one of the person, so there are four cooking personalities that I've identified. They are the distracted cook, And that goes along with a lot of ADD. People seem to have some ADD-like tendencies. Um, they get distracted easily. There is the um, carefree cook. And that's kind of a euphemism for people who don't really like to follow the rules or listen to authority. And they kind of go out on their own. Uh, they'll read a recipe and say, oh, I'll substitute this with that and see how it comes out. yet they don't have any cooking background at all, no foundation. So they kind of mess up recipes and then wonder why nobody wants to eat their food. So I help them kind of figure out those kinds of That's uh, strategies. <laughs> I don't believe that because eating your food is very good. Uh, so we have the distracted personality who gets very flustered if anything is, is you know going on when they're not able to focus and they can't concentrate on a recipe. We have the... Um, carefree cook we have the um, oh my gosh I'm like spacing out here now that I'm being interviewed um, just a second but the carefree personality is the carefree cooking personality mm-hmm. that's the one that that's the one that kind of does their own thing that's they don't me. Oh, that's the one that you are. Okay. I, I, th- I think so. I am the type who gets a recipe and I'm like, hmm, the general idea seems good, but let me change it a bit. And I can't just follow a recipe. When I'm in the kitchen, I just like, I just cannot follow the rules. In general, <laughs> it's hard for but me. That, but a lot of the cooking personality types are consistent with how we are in other areas of our life, which is interesting. <laughs> However... Sometimes you have the opposite. Sometimes people are real rule followers in all aspects of their life. For some reason, they see cooking as something like, oh, I can just do whatever I want. Um, and it doesn't fly. You need to have a basic foundation in cooking in order to be able to get creative. So um, that's, that's, you know, the carefree creative cook is the one who, it's great to be that, but you need to have basic, understanding of cooking in order to get creative just like artists need to have some kind of background in color and you know the different kind of canvas these different things that I mean I'm assuming because I'm not an artist but you need to have knowledge of a little knowledge at least of how to how to use the paints and how to use different colors in order to create what you want to create so 
um, a lot of people think, oh, well, I don't, and this is where it gets a little psychological. Well, I'm a woman and women cook. So I'm just, so, and women are born with a spatula in their hands. So they should be, know how to cook. And I'm just going to be put it together like I'm supposed to. But cooking is not, is not something that you're born with. Knowing how to cook and being a proficient cook, you really need to, uh, to practice cooking in order, like anything else, you need to have practice in order to get that foundation to be able to then launch off of that to be a creative cook. So what does make kind of a, I guess, a basic ability cook? Like what, what, what does one need to really know to be independent in the kitchen? Okay. Mm, good question. A lot of things. The very first thing that I have my clients work on is in finding an incentive. Okay. Because nobody's going to stick with something if there's no reason for them to stick with it. So when I say incentive, I ask people to come up with the reason why they want to learn how to cook. Okay. So let's use you as an example, if you're willing to divulge, disclose. What, do you have any reason to learn how to cook? Yes. So my family eats healthier food. Okay. So that's a perfect example. Somebody might have a child that has health issues and you know because we are a two moms no fluff um podcast talking about disability a lot of people know um most of us know that good nutrition is really important for everything for your immune system for gut health for autism they've realized you know through research that that can really have an impact on behavior so you might have a child with a lot of uh, medical issues or behavioral issues and you really want to try to become proficient in the kitchen so that you can create foods without stress okay uh, it's really important to come up with your own incentive. Why do I want to do this? And for some people, I ask them to write it out, you know, and put it on the fridge, on a magnet, you know, every time you're going to go into the fridge, because a lot of people get frustrated. They throw their hands up in the air when a recipe doesn't come out okay. And they're like, why am I even bothering doing this? I just wasted ingredients. I just spent time shopping. Um, I spent money and, and it came out lousy. And then they throw their hands up in the air and they say, forget it. If we have an incentive, like we can keep our eyes on the prize and think I'm going to get through this and I'm going to learn how to do this because my end goal is to keep everybody healthy. So making those connections can really help somebody you know, get through that, the arduous task of, you know, failed recipes. And I like how you always say glorious fails. You use the term glorious fails because we, if we share that with other people and know that we're not alone, you know, we can laugh about it. We can, you know, and we can know that it takes a lot of failures to get to the place where you want to be. I mean, I cannot tell you how many amazing recipes I have created by making a mistake by adding more sugar, by adding, you know, less salt, by adding lemon juice instead of water and like, oh my God, you know, or water instead of lemon juice. Like it, it making mistakes um, can lead you to a better, to a better place. So, you know, it's kind of shifting gears and knowing that um, there's no such thing as like a, a waste of, of, of time or energy or money when you're talking about cooking, because we all need the practice and we need to know 
what's going to work and what's not going to work. Oh my gosh, saying the term waste reminds me of one of my husband and my favorite arguments. What is it? it that is when one of us is cooking. First of all, we argue about using a recipe in the first place. Mm-hmm. My husband always follows a recipe and I cannot stand looking at a piece of paper or like on my phone when I'm cooking. So when he cooks, if the recipe calls for like half a carrot, he would use a half a carrot. And I would like run after him with a half a carrot in my hand. Like, What are we supposed to do with this other half of the carrot? Just put it in your recipe so we can like use the whole carrot. Why yeah. are you just wasting? This would like sit here in the refrigerator, slowly die and it would end in the trash. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just eat the carrot? I don't have a carrot. I a carrot is an example. Obviously, okay. carrot is an easy item to resolve. Yes. But with other things, I'm just like, yes. there's two more teaspoons of mayonnaise here. Can't you just clear the jar? Yeah, well, that could screw up the recipe for him. And, you know, but that's an excellent point because that has nothing to do with cooking. What you just described has nothing to do with cooking. However, all of these things in our world have an impact on our desire and ability to cook. So for someone like you, you might, if I were teaching you how to cook, I would say if you have that need to feel to use up things and not have them wait, get wasted or sit around in the fridge. I would say, whatever you're making, whatever the leftover ingredients are, we're in the age of, you know, Google. You can literally Google and say, recipes that call for half a cup of vegetable broth, you know, that wasn't used for that. Um, there are all sorts of ways to use up those you if that's something that was really keeping you from cooking which through discussion that's what i do with my clients we figure out like where is it it's because what you're talking about has nothing to do with cooking it has to do with waste but if that issue is keeping you from going forward with cooking it's something that needs to be addressed so that you feel more comfortable cooking so i would say use that find another place to put that carrot find another place to put you know the broth because that's one of my pet peeves having broth sitting there because no recipe calls for that and then it's sitting in the fridge it's going to go to waste so for me because i've been cooking for so long and i love the challenge of okay what am i going to do with that leftover thing i find something immediately because my connections are much quicker because i have so much practice cooking but this is what i teach people look at those leftover ingredients and make something else with them have a plan for whatever's left over even before you make the recipe you could say all right this i have a whole quart of vegetable broth that's okay i have a whole quart of vegetable broth that i had to buy for this i'm going to use a one cup for this recipe that it calls for what is my plan for the rest of it so for me off the top of my head i would say make another soup you know plan to make another soup with it drink it you know you can drink hot vegetable broth you can add it to the lasagna sauce that you know the that the meat sauce that you're making for the lasagna you can add that in there so there's always a place for it to go yeah obviously I come from a Jewish family we don't throw out food it's an neither obsession. do I <laughs> neither do I but I've gotten to the place where I use it and I and you know I I I always end up wasting a little, you know, something. You can never do 100%. But um, there's composting for stuff like that. If it's vegetables, you can, so they're not, you're not, you can look at it as like not fully wasting because you're composting if it's vegetables and produce. Um, another thing I just want to mention is storing of food. You know, talking about waste is something that I teach all the time because that's that's a really big issue for people. They feel guilty 
purchasing these things and then it goes to waste and there is a way to store food for longevity to, to get the most time out of your vegetables like and one example would be um for very fragile produce like basil um uh cilantro um spinach leaves you want to use that stuff quickly whereas if you buy kale where it's really sturdy or collard greens you can put those a little further back in the fridge out of view and know that you have you know at least like a week to use those but you need if you're going to buy spinach you better use that you know tonight or tomorrow night in a salad so it's really what I always say is moving the inventory. I'm always moving the inventory. Like I, it's like I have a restaurant and that's what I teach people. Like this is what restaurants do. They use up what they have quickly and save the stuff that will last longer. And there's a way to store it that will make it last longer as well. Water is, you know, oxygen is the enemy. You want to keep air out of things um, because moisture will make things go bad quicker. So for example, wrapping uh basil or cilantro in in a napkin or paper towel and then putting it in a ziploc bag in the fridge that will make it last longer so all these little tricks and tips that i share with people that really can change how you view cooking because for a lot of people they don't want to waste food so for i think our audience and uh, mm -hmm. like uh, you and i the main problem that people have and we all have the good intention of feeding our kids especially and the rest of the family healthy food yes. but we really don't have the time really don't have the time mm -hmm. how do you resolve this how do you like uh, help moms like me that uh, mm -hmm. struggle anyway to survive their day with approaching the kitchen okay it's not just people who have kids with disabilities these days who really struggle with this. And I want to point that out because we are living in an age where nobody feels like they have time to cook because everything is like so quick and we have such instant gratification. We can order things on Instacart and have it at our house in an hour. We can order from a restaurant. We can order uh, buy prepared food from a supermarket. We are living in an age, I don't know if people are aware of this, where a child can grow up in their entire life having never eaten a home-cooked meal. Can you imagine? Like yeah. never having the, the, you know, the experience of their, their grandmother or their father or their mother making them a dish. And don't we all have like, oh, our favorite dish that a family member made or a friend made. Remember when you made me that delicious blah, blah, blah kids can actually grow up never having eaten a home-cooked meal because everything is so easy the problem with that is that it costs more money it's usually not as healthy if you're ordering in and if there's something very i feel very nice about you know cooking and it you can share recipes with your children and your family members and it's it it's a it's a form of love to to cook and create for your family so I do want to say that, that we're not alone in the busyness, but having a child with a disability might make it harder because we were more taxed in some ways, not always, but in some ways, yes. So the antidote for that, what I teach, because that's really the number one thing that people come to me with. They're like, I don't have any time to cook. Like, I don't know how people cook. I have no time. I work out of the house. I have a child with a disability. I really don't have any time to cook. Um, what I do 
with people, with everyone I work with, is I talk about creating a custom menu for your family. Whether you live alone, whether it's for your whole family, whether it's for, um, uh, you know, friends who live together, creating a menu provides so many benefits to the family. Okay, and I'll just name a few. One, we all have that stress and that guilt of five o'clock coming around and the kids saying, what's for dinner? And we're like, uh, I don't know. It's really important for adults and kids alike, and especially children with disabilities, to have structure and to know what's coming next because there can be a lot of anxiety, you know, depending on the disability, of course. There, you know, eating food is primal. Like we need to eat. And we might not realize it, but you know, especially for younger children, they need to know that they're gonna have a meal, like and what that's gonna be. So structure is so important for all kids and especially with food because it is it is primal um so you're getting having a menu and i'm not talking about a menu that changes every week i'm talking about a menu that pretty much stays the same for a while and then once the person the cook gets comfortable with that menu they can start making creative changes just like i mentioned before you have to have a foundation before you can get creative you need to get very comfortable with a set menu of foods that everybody likes, that you know everybody likes, and then you can start taking some risks. So for example, what I recommend is that people get together with their family members. Everybody decides on the menu together because if a child is part of the process or even an adult, they are gonna be more likely to own it and to eat what you're actually cooking. So you won't be wasting your time if you make something and nobody likes it. You're gonna make things, even if at the start, there are things that you're buying, at least you have a plan because having a plan is number one. So it reduces stress because you know what you're gonna have for dinner. The kids are less anxious because they know what's coming for dinner and they know that it's gonna be something that they like. And number three, you every time you order food from the supermarket you don't end up with a bunch of snacks that are not for dinner you are, have a plan that oh because we all decided on breakfast for dinner night monday night i know that every time i go shopping and every time i look at my fridge i have to make sure that because we do breakfast for dinner night once a week i always have eggs in the fridge i always have whole wheat toast because that's the only kind of toast my kids will eat with no grains in it and I always have broccoli because that's the only vegetable my kids will eat. So that is Monday night, for example, that is an easy meal that has protein, a lot of protein. It's easy to prepare. And if different people in the house like eggs, but like them prepared in a different way, it's not such a big deal to scramble one egg and to fry another. So everybody kind of gets to have their custom made dinner but you're not making a bunch of different dinners for each person so that reduces a lot of time we've already talked about like it takes time away from your shopping because you're not like oh my god what am i going to order i don't know or what am i going to shop for when i get to the supermarket so that's taken off the table and monday night is taken care of tuesday night for example and i'm giving you my menu that i did for years and then was able to to make it more you know oh my gosh glamorous. you get the ins to all you get the ins but this is you know it's it's important so another example is um tuesday night 
<clears throat> my kids wouldn't eat when they were younger, would not eat any different kind of cheese than mozzarella cheese. They only wanted white tortillas. They only wanted, um, again, broccoli was the only vegetable that they were willing to eat. So I always had tortillas in the house. I always had mozzarella cheese in the house. And again, I always had broccoli in the house. As you're listening to this, you might get think, oh my God, as the parents or guardians or relatives who live in the house, I don't want to eat a boring, you know, quesadilla at, on Tuesday nights. So this is where it gets exciting, Iris. So <laughs> brace yourself, hold on to your seat. Okay. This is an opportunity to not make a totally separate meal for yourself or yourselves, but to elaborate on what they're eating to embellish it so not only are you getting to eat something that's not a totally different thing you are exposing your children to something similar to what they're eating that they feel safe eating but you're exposing them through osmosis and just through it being on the same table to other foods that are more healthy that are varied so for example making quesadillas for your kids. If your kids will only eat white foods, which is very common with a lot of kids, especially kids with disabilities, a lot of white foods. So plain, you know, white tortilla, flour tortillas and mozzarella cheese, not the healthiest, not the worst thing in the world, but not the healthiest. You, my friend Iris, will be adding vegetables, chopped up leftovers, that carrot you were talking about. <laughs> Guess where that carrot's going? You're going to grate that carrot into your quesadilla. You are going to take the leftover chicken from three nights ago that you don't want going to waste. You're going to chop that up. You're going to put that in your quesadilla. And you're going to take that spinach that we were talking about that's very fragile and the cilantro. You are excuse me, you are going to take that and you are going to saute it up and you're going to put that in your quesadilla. So it's an awesome way to, one, use up leftovers and number two, eat the way you want to eat but not make a whole separate meal and it's a way to show your children this is how adults eat and let me assure you that eventually and you're not pushing them, you're not forcing them to eat it, over time they're going to say, can I have some chicken in my quesadilla? <laughs> That's funny. Can I, you know, can I, oh, cilantro, I had that at my friend's house in guacamole and it was good. Can I have some of that in my, you know, tort quesadilla? So all of these things that you're doing are going to become easier and you're just going to like sit there and as the kids get older, they're, you know, they're, I always tell my clients, how many, you know, 55 year olds do you know who only eat chicken nuggets for dinner? Like <laughs> most, some do. And I feel very sorry for them because there's a lot of <laughs> other good food out there. But most people, as they get older, are, and, and I hate to say it, but it comes from peer pressure. You know, their friends will start eating more things or more varied things, and they want to try it. They're going to want to go to sushi with their friends, or they're going to want to, you know, eat in a restaurant with their, with their friends eventually or with their family members. And just by exposing them. Um, they say you have to expose a kid like over 20 times to a food for them to feel safe and comfortable trying it. So all you're doing is eating something separate from them and eventually they will want more varied foods. <laughs> okay, so first of all, you put me at ease here because uh, I have uh, this uh, you know, family who has uh, the health craze and for them, a healthy meal is 
brown rice that was soaked a day in advance combined <laughs> with a zuki uh, with a garnish of wakame seaweed whatever it is i cannot tolerate all of that that's hours of preparation you need to think of a meal like at least 24 hours in advance i can do dinner for a uh, breakfast for dinner and definitely i know how to make a quesadilla so yes. so far so good um, i can handle that and you even gave a permission here earlier in this conversation to actually buy the food to like you know add to your menu for the beginners level like myself buying food yes. is my forte <laughs> Good, good. And there are so many, a lot of people say that they don't like to cook because they don't, they can't take the time to shop and it takes too long. We have all of these things now that are available to us. We have Instacart, we have delivery services that can be very inexpensive. You can shop at Costco or these places that have tons of food. And once you create your menu for your family, you can buy things in bulk that are much cheaper. So for example, mm -hmm. Uh, okay, uh, give the example, but I wanted to really ask you for the benefit of everyone, if you can later finish your weekly menu, because that was super interesting. Oh, okay, I will. But I'm giving away the cow here. All right. Um... <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so don't. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Who we just don't have that much time. I mean, uh, how long are we here? I'm happy I to do it. But... Uh, Alma, so I'll, I'll say this then that everyone who's interested in learning more about the personality types that Alma created and the menu routine and how you can connect the menu to your shopping list and make your life easier, Alma has actually written a book and it's not out there yet, but it will be soon. And then it will be. you can see and read all her secrets for yourself. <laughs> yes, I am happy to share it here in this podcast. I was just joking, but we don't have that much time. But I do want to say that um, this is really doable. And people who never cooked before, um, and creating the menu is really the crux of the practical piece of this and the um, psychological because we don't even realize what our obstacles are until we really start thinking about it and talking about it um it's it's very deep you know people are always baffled by what i do they're like i never heard of somebody who helps people with their psychological obstacles to cooking and i will tell you that nobody does do that as far as i know i've been doing this now for 15 years nobody um i've never heard of anybody covering this but it's it's a no-brainer. It's like, this is why a lot of people don't cook. And I'm not saying that people have deep psychological issues. We're just not aware of what's, we don't know what we don't know. We don't even realize that, oh, that's why I hate cooking so much or I feel so inept. It's because I can't stand shopping because I get so confused. I don't know what to buy. I keep hearing about different um, positions on agave that it's healthy and then I hear it's not healthy and it makes me so confused and I don't even want to deal with it and then I get stressed out about the shopping so that's why I don't cook people don't even realize what is keeping them from getting into the kitchen so that's really what I think um, and people can even do that on their own they don't need me for that but you know I sort of hold people's hand through this process and I really you know I'm a therapist so I kind of can enter it from different angles but the main thing I want to leave people with is that um, cooking is a learned skill it is not something you're born with because people especially as they get older have a lot of shame around not being able to do it they're like I'm not a good wife I'm not a good mother I'm not a good partner what's wrong with me that I can't cook and that all these other people cook 
It is a learned skill, and many of us were not brought up in homes where we were taught how to cook. And historically, if you weren't taught how to cook, you would die. So you had to learn how to cook. We don't have that incentive anymore in our society, at least in the United States, for the most part. We can order cheap food that's really bad for us and eat. We don't have to cook. So you have to really get in touch with, why do I want to cook? Like, what is my goal here? And that will make it easier to kind of get on board with the things that you have to do because it is an investment in time and energy to learn how to cook. It's not magic. You know, I, I'm not going to snap my fingers for you and have you know how to cook. You have to really say, I want to do this. I'm going to, it's not going to take forever to learn how, but I need to understand why I'm not cooking, why things, what has not worked for me before when I've tried to learn how to cook? What am I, what's the negative baggage I'm bringing to the kitchen that's keeping me from cooking? And once we kind of tackle that, or you figure that out on your own, you're going to be more open. Your mind is going to be more open to take in information to learn how to cook. So it's, it's deep, you know, this is some deep stuff. Um, you know, eating disorders can play a part in this. If you had an eating disorder as a kid, there are lots of things that have an impact on why you don't want to cook. But cooking is important, and it's important that we show our family and especially our children uh, we need to model cooking behaviors so that they grow up and learn how to cook and, and understand the value of cooking for people to nurture them, but also for health reasons and to save money. So. Alma, so this brings I'm me to there. another another important uh, question. I know mm -hmm. that you've been giving workshops for uh, adults and children with disabilities on yes. how to cook and teaching cooking to people that uh, wouldn't yep. normally come to learn uh, how to cook. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about what we as parents can do with our own children with yes. disabilities and how we can teach them to cook? Yes. Um, so it's really important that if we feel that we don't have the patience to do that, then to outsource and to get <laughs> someone else to teach your kid how to cook. Seriously. And that's a lot of people have come to me for that. But for yourself, it's really important to, number one, cook in front of your kids. That's number one, just so that they see that cooking, you know, food does not come out of a box in the freezer, that you are actually preparing it. So cooking in front of your kids is huge. Having your kids participate in some way, even if it means just ripping lettuce. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about your daughter, Karen, who can't, you know, move her hands. She can dictate to another person what to do. I have people, you know, that I've worked with who tell somebody, I even did this. I once had a, a horrible um, back issue that just lasted for a few days but I had to prepare a meal for somebody. I dictated to other people what to do. I told them, you know, cut that lettuce, cut that. And, and you mentioned, you've mentioned numerous times in episodes, um, we both have about how the, our kids need to feel a sense of control over something. So simply, uh, so food is a huge thing and people feel very vulnerable if somebody's feeding them something that they don't like or they don't want. So having a child who can't even um, prepare it physically they can tell, they can dictate to someone else, I want spinach in that quesadilla. I want, I want you to cut up the tomato in this particular way because texture and size of food can make a difference for, for when people are eating. So having your kid tell you, simply tell you how they want something prepared is a form of cooking. It may not be 
sitting there holding the frying pan, but you could they can tell somebody how they want. I like my omelet steamed, not fried, because that tastes bad to me, and it's hard for me to eat it, and I don't like it. That kind of control is huge. So giving that control to a child is uh, with a disability for any, and these, what I'm saying really goes for a lot of people, whether they have a disability or not, but we do have the added, you know, issues. So I mean, an Mary's example. Ask, but how do you steam an omelet? You can, you know, if you have, you've probably been to restaurants where it's fluffy and light as opposed to like hard and fried. So you just, you know, you can add some liquid and put a cover on it to, you know, steam it a little bit more. So it's light and fluffy, not cook it as long, not have the flame on really high. I'll teach you the next time I see you, Iris. Oh, um, but not have the flame on really high with oil so that it's like frying it really, you know, it's like deep, you know, think about like something that's deep fried. It's going to be hard as opposed to light and fluffy and soft. Okay. And the key with eggs, I'll just give you a little tip is low and slow. So you cook it a long time on an extremely low flame. So it's, it's sort of like steaming it like, you know, it's not right. Oh, I have so much you. to teach you, Iris. We got to get together again. <laughs> um, but for kids also, so Iris mentioned, I, I teach um, uh, adults who have autism and Down syndrome how to cook. I've been running a class for a number of years uh, now, unfortunately, through COVID. I, I haven't been doing it, but um, some of the things that we focus on are and that you can do with your kids is writing things out very with tremendous detail, especially um, if someone has ADHD or um you know for a lot of disabilities you know we forget stuff uh, we all forget stuff so if someone has trouble with sequencing it's you know it's whereas it might be very easy for some people to deal with sequencing for some people it can be really hard so writing every single step out even something that you think is the most obvious step write it out so for example before you touch the meat, wash your hands. Wash your hands after you touch the chicken. Um, uh, pick up the knife. Make sure that you're holding it from the end that is the handle. And keep your fingers, you know, all the like regular cooking techniques, but spelling everything out and having ingredients in a similar place and even labeling where spices are with a little sticky note on a cabinet this is where the spices are this and if a child or an adult has a specific meal that they like that calls for all and that they like to make a lot putting all the spices that go you might have a hundred spices in your cabinet putting all the spices that go in that one dish let's say it's like cinnamon cumin pepper cloves and salt for example keep all those even though they are different in alphabetical order you would put all those spices together in the same area so that if that's a dish that they like to make, you know, three times a week, they always know exactly where to find it. So just really thinking out of the box about what what that particular person needs to be able to cook. And we all know our children best. We know how they learn best. And so we're the experts on what they might need. For my son, I don't let him, he has Prader-Willie syndrome. He wants to eat a lot of food. I let him tear the lettuce. So if he happens to sneak some, he's eating lettuce and 
Uh, he's not chopping up chocolate, whereas if I turn my back, half the chocolate bar is in his mouth. So I know my kid best, so that's the kind of task I'm going to give him. So there's so there's so much to learn, and there's so and it can be really fun. I'm really passionate about cooking with the family because it's really important to me. That cooking for me really is something that um, it's showing. It's a way that I show love, and nurturing and my kids love they've associated dishes that i've made with certain holidays and they're at a point now where they can help me make that and it's something that brings the family together and we've talked in other episodes about things that um our kids some of our kids really can't partake in they can't take advantage of sports or you know, playing a musical instrument, things that may bring us joy or that we always thought, wow, I couldn't, you know, I always imagined that I would do this with my kid and I, it feels like, you know, it's grief that I can't do this with my child. You can do it with cooking in a lot of different ways. And that's a way to do something together, do something with the siblings, do something with the parents. It creates, it's something that creates really nice memories and it tastes good. <laughs> so that's the most important thing. Yeah, Alma, I am telling you, you are the American answer to the Japanese KonMari. <laughs> While she's oh. helping us <laughs> organize our homes, you're going to fly to Japan now and teach them all how to cook and overcome their... I think they problems. know. Yes. Oh, I don't know. There are also their rates of like fast food eating and... Uh, Because they're paying attention to the Westerners. It's a problem. I know, I know. So... Uh, First of all, I wanted to thank you for sharing a little bit of your wisdom and how it can thank help you. us commoners that really don't uh, spend oh. so much time in the kitchen. And uh, as always, it was a pleasure talking to you. And I want It's to always a pleasure. I had the, the pleasure, the real pleasure of eating Alma's food many, many times. Because she, as you said, likes to cook and I like to eat. So it's been <laughs> both an honor and a privilege to be a, an official taster sometimes. I love and, that. Uh, thank you for today. Looking thank forward you to for asking everyone. Me. Yeah, everyone in our next episode. Um, if you have any questions about menus, shopping lists, cooking, and uh, how to handle all of that with your child with the disability or your family in general, Please touch base with Ama and she'll be happy to answer, right? Always happy to answer. Okay. Thank you so much. See Thank you. Next you. Time. All Bye. right. Take care. Bye. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.